Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to grow your business and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, my guest is Beth McDaniel, and let me tell you a little bit about Beth. Beth is a co-founder and president of the award-winning paint and coatings company, Reactive Services, Surfaces. That would be important to understand. (laughs) Reactive Surfaces, where she also serves as legal counsel. She's also a partner in McDaniel and Associates, a law firm specializing in patent and trade secret law, as we can see from behind her, all those patents. Her legal practice is focused on contracts, business administration, innovation, and entrepreneurship. As a serial entrepreneur, she has guided this bleeding edge innovation company operating in the paint and coatings and specialty chemicals industry for the past 15 years. She has served in leadership roles for numerous organizations, including serving as a Pathways to Peace Fellow, a premier social justice organization. Her work in the area of human rights and social justice brings the level of experience and intention to ensure that human rights and personal livelihood. She brings the same education to her family, including two children and grandchildren. So today I thought we'd talk about her journey and the abundant opportunities that women have in technology and science. Please join me in welcoming Beth McDaniel. Hello, Beth. Hi. Thanks for having me, Vicki. Oh, good to have you. Yes. And um, I do some work with youth, uh, 9 to 17-year-olds, and teaching them leadership skills as well as speaking skills. And whenever I talk to them, and I always kind of ask them in their icebreaker, well, just talk about what you want to be when you grow up. and Nobody really uh, rushes to, I'm going to be a, you know, computer scientist. It's, you know, all of this stuff. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a vet. (laughs) That's the closest I get to any science. That's what I thought I was going to be when I was that age. Yeah. Like my oldest daughter, who's 35 now, she, her best friend when she was little said she was going to be a neuroscientist. She is. (laughs) That's the only person I ever knew that when they were this, you know, this big, knew what they were going to be and pursued it and is doing it. Very cool. So where we always start with an easy question. And that question is, uh, where do you call home? Where do you live? Uh, We live in Austin, Texas. Oh, 
very good. I've been to Austin several times. Love it there. Uh, yeah. So I guess the first question is, you know, what's it like being this female executive in technology science in this space that you don't see a lot of uh, people that look like you and I? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same as it's been in all the different spaces that I've worked um, throughout, you know, all these years that I've been working. But um, there's... There, but but it's better now because I think people there's so many more women that are holding these kind of positions and so um, uh, I haven't I haven't really suffered too much discrimination in this and especially since I'm in a closely held company and that's kind of the way I've mm-hmm. I've, um, I've rolled all these years but uh, but in tech I mean our chief scientist in our labs is is a woman we've always had a lot of women on our staff. Um, so there's there's really been no difference. We have as many women working for us as we do men. Um, I noticed years ago in some of the the in different parts of my journey that there was definitely um, I was definitely overlooked at certain you know for certain things, underestimated. I, I find being underestimating like a a valuable thing actually because when you're underestimated people aren't watching you so closely. And so you can kind of do the sneak attack, you know, and, and get something in there when they're not ready for it. And so uh, I, um, I, I definitely used that to my advantage in different periods of my life. I haven't had to so much in my science and technology um, position because I'm, um, I, I just, I was one of the founders of the company. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I could see how, you know, people aren't gunning for you, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I want that job. I, I was wondering, as you were talking about being the advantages of being in a smaller business, I think a lot of times, not just women, but anyone that's in college is thinking, I have to go after the big company and might pass a really great opportunity because it's a smaller business. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, your from yeah. your thoughts? Yeah. So big business never appealed to me that much because I've never been very good at bureaucratic BS. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I won't say that. I mean, it's necessary when you have that many people working. But if you're not into that, and I was never into really, you know, staying on a strict schedule and wearing certain clothes and pantyhose and all that stuff, and I just didn't think it was necessary, and I didn't think it was right for me. So I felt like closely held business was more suitable for me as a person. Um, but what I've noticed is like as a lawyer, for instance, and, and I, I did law for quite some time. Uh, I did practice law and I was on the contract side of things. I wasn't a litigator, but um, but I noticed there's a lot of small businesses that are that are underserved. Yeah. Um, for instance, a, a small business that doesn't want to have a lawyer on full time on their staff. And so there, there's this opportunity, and I tell people this all the time, because it's interesting that you ask, because I always say, you know, for an accountant or a lawyer or a business consultant or, you know, whatever you do to go out and serve small companies mm-hmm. and be that consultant that wraps up several different clientele into one bundle, and that's a full-time job. Yeah. And then you're on your own and you do it your way and you charge things your way and you work when you want and you can have a better, I think you get a better work 
life balance mm -hmm. that way. That's for me. Now, then again, the downside of that is, you know, you don't always have an employer paying you. And there, mm -hmm. there's definitely been times when, you know, in my, in my journey that I wasn't getting paid anything. I wasn't getting a distribution. And then there were times when we hit it big on a deal. And that's another thing is I really, even as a, as a lawyer or whatever I was doing in business, I always wanted a stake in the action. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really want to be an hourly worker. And so uh, I wanted to, I was willing to take some risk on. And sometimes I made investments. Sometimes I was just working as my investment to, um, for the, you know, the home run or the grand slam. And so I, I wanted to have that stake in the outcome. Yeah, I think that's great. And, and that's really the entrepreneurial mind is that not thinking of yourself as an employee, but really as a partner. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we, we're going to talk a little bit about climate change in, in this as well. That's that science piece of it. But how did you get involved in this? What, what sparked that passion? Because for me, especially for my age, you know, at 65, climate change was not forefront in people's minds when I was young. And, and even today, there's still some uphill ba battles for people. But what just pushed you to say, this is what I want to have my focus be on? Mm -hmm. Well, um, so that happened within our company, actually. And there was a particular moment in time that I can identify and what mm -hmm. that was. And it helps to understand a little bit about what we do. So if you don't mind, I'll back up. That would be bit. awesome. Okay. So Reactive Surfaces is, uh, is a company that specializes in innovating in the paint and coatings industry. And um, paint and coatings, I always say, is the biggest industry that no one's ever thought of. It's everything around you is coated. So I look around you right now in your studio or, you know, your listeners or whatever, you're, whatever room you're in, obviously the walls are painted. Um, things are painted or coated. Coatings are just paint without color. Um, but almost everything, if it's manufactured by the hand of man, has a coating on it. At some point, it's manufacturing process. So if you look at your table or your chairs or your desk or your shirt or your eyeglasses or your computer screen, this coat can, um, everything has a coating on it. And so that's the world that we specialize in. And what we've done, so there, generally there are two things that coatings do. They protect an underlying surface or they decorate it with a color. Um, that's what people have an expectation of. So we've added a new dimension, not a new dimension. There are other companies that do it, but in a different way. And that's functionality. So what we do is try to, is add functionality to paints and coatings. And then we can put that paint or coating that does something for us on a surface and make use of that surface area. Example. Uh, and we pull from nature. That That's what makes us different mm -hmm. from other coatings companies that have developed maybe antimicrobial coatings. You might've mm -hmm. heard, like, especially mm -hmm. during, during COVID, you heard about a lot about, you know, surfaces and they wanted to get a coating for that surface as antimicrobial. We've done that too, but we always pull from nature rather than using harmful chemicals. Everything that we do is based in biomolecules usually like enzymes or peptides. So example of something that we do would be a peptide that we 
that we entrain into a coating that has antimicrobial. It's from nature. It's around us all the time. It's naturally occurring. So it's completely safe. In fact, my husband, who's the, who's the innovator, will step into a meeting and, and actually take a spoonful of it and eat it in front of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so everything is safe enough to, to that you would ingest. And But entrained into a coating system, and then as long as the coating is on a surface, it will continually do what it's asked to do and that which it does in nature. So you asked about the moment that, so that's what we've been doing for a couple decades in our paint companies, innovating, using these peptides and enzymes that do something that function in a, in a coating system to do something for the, for their environment. Um, when in October of 2018, yeah. There was a, a report that came out by the United Nations uh, International Panel on Climate Change. It's called the IPCC. The IPCC is the most uh, relevant authority on, on climate change that exists. It's made up of probably 3,500 scientists nationwide, climate change scientists and other scientists that, that all agree on what's going on with climate change. So if you want the foremost authority, it's the, it's the UN IPCC. Mm. They came out with a report in 2018 and that report was so devastating. It it knocked my husband and I just, it, we were just like comatose for about a week. I mean, he couldn't get off the couch. He was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to protect us from this. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, when he finally got off the couch <laughs> about a week later, um, he said, I have something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And I think we need to take this to the lab, take this to our our technical technical team at at our labs, and we need to devote some time and see if we can develop it. And that is putting algae, not a biomolecule, but actual single cell bacteria and algae into a coating system. And same thing, ask it to do what it does in nature. Well, what it does in nature is photosynthesize by pulling down CO2. Right with the help of sunlight and water and stuff in the atmosphere um, and releases oxygen and glucose, but, but it pulls down CO2. So we decided to put that into a paint system, a coating system and ask that to do what it does. And about a year later, we had it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the moment that we, that I became obsessed with climate change. In fact, I haven't picked up a novel since 2018 because any opportunity I have to read anything, it's all or watch anything, it's always about climate change. So I'm kind mm-hmm. of obsessed. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, we're the adults in the room now, and uh, I have kids, like you said, and grandkids, and mm-hmm. you know, you do too. And I, I don't, I can't leave a world that you know, leave them with a world that's going to fall apart. And uh, so it's time to step up and take sides. And as far as the people that don't believe in it, I don't, I don't have those arguments. I don't, I don't worry about people like that. It's so far and few between the people that don't buy into very, very well-established um, scientific research. Now. So, so what are we painting or coding with this um, new invention? Yeah. Great question. So when people, again, when they think about paint, they think about naturally putting it on walls. Mm-hmm. Now that's probably a use that we will eventually get to. Um, but given the urgency of the situation um, and how how big it is, um, we feel that the, the highest and best use for the paint right now is to maximize surface area in like a facility. So if you can imagine 
um, we've created a modular system. So I'll describe to your listeners and your viewers what, what that would look like mm -hmm. is imagine a one cubic meter module, just a plastic box, okay? And then we take a surface area, we take some surface area. We take, we were using a plastic mesh at this time. It has a mm -hmm. lot of surface area within it. And we coat that with this green algae paint. The algae is growing and multiplying within the paint and creating biomass by capturing the CO2. Um, if we take, if we painted, coated a whole bunch of those sheets and put a whole bunch of those sheets sitting in one cubic meter box, let's say we had 40 meters squared mm -hmm. and one cubic meter, then we have all that much surface area doing the work in a smaller space. And so the idea is to take a whole bunch of those modules they could either be they're solar powered or in other cases we can use energy in them um, to to um, help like large emitters pull down their CO2 or mm -hmm. it could be like something sitting in a field and pulling it down ambient CO2. But mm -hmm. basically we create a little environment that's that's good for the the painted algae sheets to to thrive and they just do the work. Oh, cool. So would you have that in um, start in urban areas where there isn't as many trees or natural ways to create the CO2? Well, um, there's there's several parts to that question, but there's um, CO2 is a gas. So wherever mm -hmm. you pull it down, it's going to pull it down. It doesn't matter whether you're on the other side of the world, it's going to do the same thing um, or have the same impact. Okay. Uh, but the system is pretty flexible. So what we, since it's a modular system and then, you know, we can see it and we haven't gotten to this point of development, but we can see where um, this could be used in your backyard. You could oh. stack some of these things to take care of your carbon footprint. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, and there are things that go along with that. The sheets would have to be replaced and there would be, we imagine it would be something kind of like your, your city services where they come and they pick up your recycle or something like that. They might have a service that would come and pick up these sheets and su substitute them with your new sheets. And then those sheets would get harvested and we would take that biomass and do something to permanently sequester it, which is a, a different topic. We don't have to get into it, but we... <laughs> But that did come in my mind. <laughs> yeah, you don't leave it in the paint. The paint, it, it becomes, the CO2 becomes fixed in the paint, but until we decide to harvest it. And what that does in, that's better than nature is that, for instance, algae in nature is going to pull down CO2, but it's also going to release CO2. And mm -hmm. nature has a very good balance for that, but we don't want it releasing so in a paint, we can hold on to it until we're ready to do something with it. And then we have a harvesting process and a permanent sequestration process called biochar. Oh, wow. um, so that's the end of that's It's a cradle to grace um, system. Hmm. And so I mentioned, you know, there could be, we call those personal offset devices. There could be an individual pod mm -hmm. uh, that you, you know, build modules in your backyard and just have a personal offset device all the way up to a giant facility um, out on, you know, a few miles worth, like if you've seen any of those, uh, um, um, uh, losing the word, uh, windmills. <laughs> That's where I was going to. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen in the windmills? Kansas. In Kansas, Texas. it's different. Yeah. I mean, West Texas, they have mm -hmm. huge farms. Yeah. Well, those might be farms 
of carbon capture coatings in yeah. in modules that could capture for, directly from the, the ambient air. Mm-hmm. Or like I mentioned, we could um, nestle up to a large emitter, an industrial process or something that has a lot of CO2 coming out and we could pipe that CO2 into our system. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Algae loves CO2. So the more CO2 we put in it, the better our system works and the faster mm-hmm. it works. And so we can so cool. we can be a mitigation strategy for, or a direct air capture strategy. Very cool. Very cool. So as you are talking to people, government officials and things, what is their reaction? Uh, you know, we, we talked about the struggles that, that women have in, biz, in, in business. Now you're a woman talking about something that people sometimes don't want to hear. <laughs> so yeah. how, how is that um, moving along? As the climate so, changed, it's challenging. It's definitely challenging with new innovation. Okay, because no one's mm-hmm. ever done this paint before. So we're you know pioneers. Sometimes pioneers get arrows in the back, right? Yeah, we're used to it. it ain't the first time. But um, uh, talking to so we we talk to a lot of big companies, and um, it's it can be frustrating. For instance, like I was talking to the sustainability officer. This was a couple years ago when it was early on um, in our development of this technology, but I was taking of one of the biggest companies in the world. You would know it if you guessed it. I, I won't call them out yet, but I will later. And uh, they, um, they wanted to, this particular person, I think wanted to stick with whatever they were investing in, which I it's called mangrove swamps, a mm. natural, a natural um, carbon removal um, system. And, um, but his only question for us was, what's the ROI? (laughs) And it was a little offensive because I don't know, the ROI is how about we don't all die? Yeah, that's Um, right. I was just thinking I have a place to live, you know? (laughs) Um, so eventually we're going to actually, we've decided that we're going to set up a, a philanthropic fund on the side when we, when we start bringing in like when we start pulling down gigatons and we're bringing in that kind of money and it's going to be called the ROI, but it's going to be philanthropic. I, um. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what but are it, some- it's hard to, it, it is hard to convince certain people to take action on new innovation. That's the biggest, that's the, even if they think, and usually they think, Oh yeah, that's the greatest. And that's awesome that you're doing it. Um, call us when it's, completely done you know when it's mm-hmm. on a shelf wrapped up in a box with a bow on it then call us you yeah. know and so uh it could be kind of hard because our our lane is frankly we're in the paint and coatings lane we're not in the lane of building huge facilities that's not yeah. what we do you know we we need big partners to do that part uh, we do paint. yeah okay? that's what i was paint. just thinking it, you know that um you need to get those platforms and is are you in discussions maybe with those people that could be large investors that that have similar understanding vision and and could the UN um, be a good partner to help you know part you know link you up with people? Yeah. 
so we're doing a lot of investor discussions and and we are talking to some large emitters. Um, yeah, there are a lot of companies, big companies, and frankly, I think their shareholders are demanding it that that they do something about their emissions. For instance, in the you know in the coal business, in the steel industry, they're you know there's they're very dirty. And the fact is 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 with a carbon removal technology like this, it's not so much like you can't emit it's just you got to clean up your mess okay it's time for us to build that into our yeah. business models okay cleaning up is just what you got to do it's part of the business and so i think they're starting to grasp that and they really want to show the world that they have a sustainability you know mindset and so we are hearing from big companies and we're we're hearing from big paint companies that, and we deal with paint companies all the time um, because, you know, like a lot of just in our, all of our platform technologies, you know, they're asking us, can you develop this paint for us or that? So we have connections into the paint industry, a lot of them. So the paint industry is definitely getting in, interested and in, uh, involved. But I'll tell you on an international scale, what's interesting that I learned, because we are, we did some presentations that got some Eastern European countries um, in interested. And so Bulgaria is a country that's very interested in starting a pilot project oh. and and delivering that to the EU because they are a part of the EU and they're just taking a very you know a very big stand mm. in a lot of these European countries or in Eastern European countries and just globally and what I found out is they're really looking to use American innovation and so they want the United States to be a leader and they're looking to the United States. And so um, I think it's up to our industry and our leadership to take that leading role. And because the globally, I think they'll follow. That's yeah. what our experience is. I mean, they I had people in the embassy telling me that exact thing. You know, mm -hmm. we want US, the we want United States innovation. That's what we want. You know, when you talked about big companies, I'm originally from Pittsburgh. And so PPG is where oh, my yeah. girlfriend um, worked for many, many years. I think she retired from there or, or is about to. And um, I, they would be, to me, a logical partner to have because of their yeah. size and their global. I think they might be the biggest, if not the second biggest, along with Sherwin-Williams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they, you know, I, I've told these paint companies, I've said, look, you're, what if the best solution to climate change arose within the paint and coatings industry and you did nothing? I know. That's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> and, um, mm -hmm. I think that the person that I've said that to, and again, I won't call them out yet, but you know, maybe you'll have me on again in a year or so, and then we'll, we'll name names, but, um, was a little emasculated by that. And we didn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, maybe you could, I, I retired from UPS and we have our brown trucks and we do a lot of stuff with carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff. And so maybe we can get our Pullman brown paint to be um, that and we can drive around yeah. collecting. <laughs> That's interesting. I never thought about it for vehicles. But, mm. Yeah, so. just you should uh, talk to Carol Tomei. <laughs> Tell her Vicky sent you. <laughs> All right, so it's time now for a rapid fire. We have just zoomed by here. There's so much content, and I definitely will have to have you come back and talk some more. 
but what are um, some things that we can right now, just the, the normal Vicki and um, Beth do to reduce our carbon footprint? Yeah, good question. I think people are really interested in doing something and being a part of the solution. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then here's where the negative part comes in. Um, there are things to do. Certainly drive an electric car, you know, you're not, you're not adding to the problem. Um, the problem is, is if everyone in the whole world drove an electric car, we'd still be in a bind. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. Um, and so it's not going to actually take care of it. Hopefully if we can get like these individual personal offset devices and it becomes a world global way of handling things, you know, solar, solar, um, panels became, you know, they, they, they grew a Mainstream. lot in the last 15, yeah. 20 years. Right. And so you mm -hmm. see them all over. I mean, maybe we can do that. We just don't have that much time and that's, what's really freaking everybody out. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, excuse me, um, what I tell people, um, and I used to do this, uh, I used to teach things like this as, uh, advocacy in classrooms, um, mm -hmm is the really one of the best things that you can do is go to your lawmaker and make your desires known because they need to know that people care about this. And when you, when you make a call to your lawmaker um, and you tell them that you care about, you know, implementing more carbon removal technologies, a lot of people don't know this. First of all, you don't have to say it in any way. You don't have to be good at it or anything. There's a person on the other end of the phone that is taking a tally down and they they have to they have to note that someone cares about that in that district mm -hmm. and if that person cares about it there's a formula that they put to that that means that so many other people care about it that they're not hearing from and so that actually can make a difference you yeah. know and so writing letters i mean that's what i think because they need to take real giant action in mm -hmm. this case. I mean, we could pass up a point of no return. We're losing coral reefs already in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're losing, you know, species large. We're going to, by 2100, we might lose some of the largest species on earth of animals. And, you know, mm. there's really dim news for places like Miami and New Orleans um, mm. because of global warming. So um, yeah. anyway, I think we need to take action and take action now. Don't sit on it. Call them up and tell them. They work for us. So what are some things that we should know about? You talked about the coral reefs. Some, I think mangroves also are um, impacted too. You know, they plant them, but I don't know. I just, I know when I went to the islands recently that there was a whole discussion about how that's being impacted by the climate change. So I bet, I bet it is. It's one of the climate change, the natural climate change solutions. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they are. So what is being done in our schools though, to educate our kids? Because I think if, you know, it's obviously, it's not in the curriculum, most likely, um, to talk as much or as current about it. There could be information, but not current. But how could having that generation that's going to own the mess that we made um, be informed 
help to maybe drive change as well? Well, I think that lawmakers and big companies um, who who really can have an impact um, need to listen to these to the younger generation. They do care. You know, yeah. they grew up caring about it. Yeah. I, mean, I apologize to them all the time. Like, sorry, mm. you know, in the 70s, we should have noticed. And, and yeah. you know, there were people that knew and didn't do anything about it. And they were contemporaries of ours, you know. And so it was, yeah, I mean, we overlooked it. And we thought it would just kind of go away. And I think people also think that there's a lot going on that's going to make a difference. There are, there are companies, like I said, that are trying to mitigate or to lower their emissions. But when it comes to carbon removal systems that would take, that would not be in relationship to, you know, evening out an emission, but, but actually just a net negative situation where you're carbon dioxide out. Um, we've got 40 gigatons or 40 billion tons of CO2 annually going into the atmosphere from human-driven things. And um, so far, the best or the most forward technology, I will say it's a good technology, it's a sorbent carbon removal technology, um, is only pulling down 4,000 tons. Mm. We are so, so far off the mark. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think they are teaching it a lot in schools. And I think that the younger generation cares about it, but it's really, I think we need to target in on carbon removal technology and not just ours. Ours will be able to do a certain good amount. We'll be able to scale up to the gigaton level, but um, there's there's gotta be a move towards yeah. carbon removal or we're mm-hmm. just not gonna achieve it in time. And they talk about a, a point of no return in which we won't be able to turn back the, the climate will lose certain things um you know as the ice shelf melts in the arctic for instance it's going to expose viruses and bacteria that have been that have been in ice for millions of years i mean it's it's going to change the way that things are a lot in ways that we never thought civil unrest and all sorts of stuff i hate to be the doomsday person because i really (laughs) do think there are solutions but but we have to get out there and promote these solutions. Awesome. All right. So if you could have given or had any advice, let's say this a different way. What advice would you have liked to have had when you were 20, just going into this business world, lawyer, whatnot? What advice do you wish you would have had? Yeah, I wouldn't have taken any advice at that age. <laughs> <laughs> no, we never did. <laughs> Not even from myself, but um, what I, I would probably have said, make sure no matter what, that you have passion for what you do, that there's meaning behind what you do. Yeah. And because that'll keep you interested in it and, you know, and not just, tired of the work and just working for, you know, the money it's, um, so passion and meaning and a good life work balance, um, will keep you going until you're like me in your fifties and you're probably going to work and I'm probably going to work for another 20 years, you know, I mean, otherwise you get, you can get kind of burnt out. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And this has the information. So those that are watching can take a screenshot 
If you were just listening in, then you will need to grab that pencil and paper so that you can copy down the information that I will give for the website. But if you don't, then just know that you can go to my YouTube channel or my website and all of this information will be in my show notes. All right. So the information is www.reactivesurfaces.com. That's R-E-A-T-I-V-E-S-U-R-F-A-C-E-S.com. Reactiveservices.com slash technology. Again, that's HTTPS, reactivesurfaces.com technology. You can find Beth on LinkedIn. Just search her name, Beth McDaniel. And I'm going to let you talk about your call to action. So um, the bit of information that we have here on the site um, and how they can get um, to do more. Yeah. No, um, people might want to know more about what we're doing and where we're going. We we intend for this to be a carbon offset. So we're on in that process. So it, there is an opportunity in the future for people to buy carbon offsets that would be using this technology. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on us. Um, feel free to reach out uh, in, on LinkedIn and if there's any questions about it. And um, I'll be happy to answer. I, I like talking about climate change. So when they go to envirotechaccelerator.org, is that just informational or say, are you at the point in your business that people can get those individual pods that you talked about in in their, um, for their personal use, or is it not at that point yet? And that's what we need to be watching out for. (laughs) That's what you need to be watching out for, but it's not that far behind. We're, awesome. we're building our first pilot facility uh, in California. We're in the midst of doing that. It's modular, it's these stacked modules like I described to you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for it in the next year or so. Awesome. Okay, again, the website is reactivesurfaces.com slash technology and LinkedIn is Beth McDaniel. Well, it's been so great to have you know, really, I think, as you mentioned, just a a topic that needs to be discussed and, and brought to the forefront. And and it is up to us to make a difference. And uh, so I loved your suggestions of writing letters. Remember that one voice can make a difference. That's true. So thanks so much for being my guest today. And I encourage everyone again to go to Beth's website, reactiveservices.com slash technology. And as I always say, life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Netling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.